The right-handers 0-2. Strike three called, an immaculate inning for Edwin Diaz. He strikes out the side in order on nine pitches. I know it's just spring training, but see Eddie, nine pitches, nine strikes. You don't see it very often. Well, that's why you come to the ballpark every night. You sometimes you see things you don't get a chance to see too, too often. He's special. You know, the stuff's really good, and the command has been good here the last couple times out. So he's really in, in midseason form. It's a huge win for the Mets. Huge, huge win. I mean, you get a player that does a lot of things today that do not get celebrated. I mean, there's a big blind spot in the game that everybody wants home runs. You keep watching October over and over, and you get 17, 18, 20 strikeouts per game. It's just frustrating to watch. A guy like Robinson Cano can put the barrel on the ball. I mean, he's rocked Peru with power. He plays every day. He's built like a bull. Uh, He came back after the suspension and played really well. And I think a lot of people don't know that Robbie uh, went to high school in New Jersey. So he is in love with New York City. He was saddened to go to Seattle, and I think there's a big win for Fred and uh, Jeff Wilpon. So the word on Cano from Abrod is all plus. You think Cano will come here and and do well? I, I do. I think Cano is uh, New York ready. I think he'll be energized coming back to the big stage. I think he'll have a chip on his shoulder to prove to the Yankees and to the Mariners that he still has something left. And uh, I know this guy personally. He's he's built like, a, like an iron horse. Mets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones, the Mets of the world champion. Here's the one, two, three. Check him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. Mike Piazza and the Mets lead three to two. To left field. Floyd. And after running rough shot over the National League, the Mets have a title to show for it. 2006 National League East champions. Here's the payoff pitch from Familia to Fowler on the way. And it's in there. Strike three called. The Mets win the pennant. The New York Mets You know, anytime A-Rod has something to say, listen, I always uh, think, you know, despite what anybody could say about A-Rod in his career, uh, he really knows baseball, and he's, he's one of those guys that uh, you should really listen to. Anyway, uh, welcome to the Talking Mets podcast here on this December the 2nd, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva, and as always, you can get the show over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire, you had a chance to hear a clip, A-Rod talking about Robinson Cano, the new Mets second baseman, pending physical, which I would think is a formality, and Edwin Diaz, the new Mets closer, pending physical, uh, despite some reports of bone spurs, I would think is a formality. And uh, I will say I'm a little surprised that here on this Sunday, we're, we're talking about this deal. I know there was a lot of buzz about it, and uh, I had done a podcast talking about the merits, potentially, as I heard the initial 
rumblings of Robinson Cano when I when I knew that they were more than just some internet chatter. I did that that podcast a few days back, so very surprised to a certain degree, and it says a lot about Brody Van Wagenen and, and how he's going to run the Mets in his tenure. I think he's going to be bold, and he's shown that in his first move. Joining me in a little bit, you'll hear from 98.7 ESPN's Rich Katina. He'll join me to talk about this deal. Always like catching up with Rich. It's uh, It's been a while, and um, you know that's where I'm going to start off with, and this is a deal that is getting a lot of chatter because it hits on a lot of different topics I think that fans are passionate about. Prospects, the media is passionate about, team building, uh, the narrative and the industry telling everybody how they should build a team. There's only one way to build a team. And this deal kind of comes together and encompasses a lot of all that. And as I just said before, I think you got to give Brody Van Wagenen a lot of credit. He's gone in. He's sold ownership on making a bold move. He's sold ownership on going down a route that historically has gone bad for them, bringing in players that have been good, historically been good, but are on the north of 30 backside of their careers. And usually those final years have not been kind to the Mets, Robbie Alomar, particularly at second base, Robbie Alomar, Carlos Baerga, and and whatnot. So you got to give Van Wagenen uh, credit because, let's face it, Robbie Alomar is as relevant to this deal as the 2002 Mets are relevant today. They're not. They're just not. If you look at this, and I think the fans are looking at this, a lot of them, at least how I see the tweets, I don't know if they're totally looking at this in the right way. So you have the deal that Swarzak, Bruce, then you have the prospects, Justin Dunn, Kelnick, Gerson, Bautista, all going over to Seattle. Seattle sending Cano and uh, and Diaz and Edwin Diaz, and uh, they're getting also $20 million. So let's, let's break this down. So first... Edwin Diaz and that prospect portion of the trade has nothing to do with Cano. Absolutely nothing. And I and I, I know they're connected, and I guess the only reason the Mets, in theory, engaged in Cano is because of the prize of Diaz, or maybe the prospect hall being, in some cases, less than what it would be in a vacuum for Diaz. That's the pitch I'm sure that Jerry DePoto gave them, that, hey, I'm not going to take back this kind of package for Diaz unless we do something with Cano. And rather than giving cash back, he took on a couple of contracts, one in Swarzak that's just done at the end of the year, and Bruce that has two more years left. So let's look at this separately. There is very little reason why, unless you really don't like Cano, and you really don't like the Mets upgrading their offense at that position in this way, that you could complain about Bruce Swarzak for Cano. Bruce is a clumsy fit now that Brendan, Brendan Nimmo has emerged. Uh, I don't think Bruce with Alonzo, uh, clearly someone that is ready to at least make an attempt to be their first baseman, everyday first baseman, and middle of the order right-handed bat, power bat. I just don't see where Bruce fits. And in the fact that Bruce had uh, you know this plantar fasciitis, and we don't know how serious that is, and all, all we know is... Historically, those kind of injuries don't get better. They linger, they nag, they can be treated with cortisone, but by and large, they're nasty. And it doesn't bode well for someone who has to play the outfield. It is, uh, It does read as a player who needs a DH as a landing spot 
so that they can withstand the rigors of 162 games. So Bruce was a bad fit. Swarzak was what many thought a value signing for the bullpen last year, had a good year uh, coming over from Cleveland, uh, Chicago and Milwaukee. Uh, but, you know, historically had not been a good pitcher up until the year before. Mets rewarded him with a two-year deal. And Swarzak had a bunch of nagging injuries, didn't really perform well when he was out there. And, you know, right now the Mets, bullpen being one of their bigger needs, had an $8.5 million cost attached to a pitcher they didn't know if they really wanted or could perform. So they're able to rid themselves of that for Robinson Cano. And I was just like everybody else. When I first heard Robinson Cano, I thought, ugh, former Yankee, sleepy player, a guy that had a PED suspension. So when you don't, when you just look at that on the surface, you're like, why would I want to get involved in a guy like this? But when you peel the onion a little bit, I mean, you got to give credit where credit is due. Here's a guy that right now, going into the 2019 season, is a top 10 all-time second baseman if you use win share values, wins above replacement over at Baseball Reference. He's ahead of Ryan Sandberg. He's ahead of Robbie Alomar. He's ahead of Chase Utley. He's ahead of Jeff Kent. He's ahead of guys like Dustin Pedroia, who have good careers, Nellie Fox. I mean, I could go on and on. In a couple of years, he'll be right up there with Bobby Gritch and Luke Whittaker and guys like that. He'll never approach the Joe Morgan-level second base uh, situation. And even when you run 75% of the games that you know players play, I mean, Rod Carew doesn't fall into this second base. Rod Carew played all over the field, I, I believe. I'd have to go look and see. I, I, he was not just a second baseman. So you heard what A-Rod said, Rod Carew of power. I mean, this is a guy that if you have Rod Carew of power, that's a damn good hitter. And there's no doubt we've seen him play here for the Yankees. And the only reason I think he didn't stay with the Yankees at the time, I think the timing was bad. I think the Yankees were looking to reboot and move away from their uh, legacy players that were there when the Joe Torre years or Joe, early Joe Girardi years were there. I think the Yankees, because of the A-Rod situation, remember when he was a free agent, that was the year that A-Rod came back and there was the whole nonsense with the commissioner. And they were so burnt with the end of those A-Rod, Teixeira, to a certain degree, Sabathia long-term deals that I think the Yankees didn't want to get back into one with a guy that played the middle of the infield that wanted to basically be signed until he's 40-41, and I really can't blame them. So they moved on, and he went out to Seattle, and he got his big contract, and uh, and now it's not a big contract. It still is, but it's not a 10-year deal. It's a five-year deal. And in today's day and age, I think when you start and you look at players, and I think you're going to see that, I don't care if Manny Machado and Bryce Harper in their you know, mid-20s and, and definitely prime years, 10-year, decade-long contracts, a lot could happen, a lot could change, and marriages like that in sports usually don't last that long. I mean, even David Wright, who was with the Mets for 13, 14 years, you were ready to move on this year. Now, he didn't have a 10-year deal, but he had a long-term deal, and, and it didn't work out well. So that's the reason why I don't think the Yankees kept him. I know I've heard Cashman say, well, he suspected him of steroid use. He used a masking agent. Who the hell knows what he was doing? When he came back, you know, he hit historically well. He passed tests before that. He had a decade's worth of performance under his belt decade plus of a hard time believing he was hiding behind the mask of steroids that whole time so I'm not even gonna get into that so nobody could argue that and when you factor in and the way and look you guys want to look at this and do the money a billion different ways so you could justify why it's too much for Cano you can do that but here's how I look at it and you could say I'm right I'm wrong 
But the way I look at it is, is that when you add in Swarzak and Bruce this year and some of the money that is going over out of the $20 million, Cano's a wash in 19. So essentially you're just using the same money that you had to pay anyway to Bruce and Swarzak for Cano. And that's a very good risk. I like the risk. I like taking that risk because the offensive upside at that position, the way it could impact the lineup is solid. He's the kind of hitter, like A-Rod said, you need more of. Guys who make contact, not guys who are all or nothing. And then you go into 2020, Bruce is making $14 million. Now Cano is, uh, you know, a 24. There's a $10 million gap. You throw another $10 million, it's a wash there. Where the, essentially, you're getting Cano for the most part. Seattle's paying them, plus with Bruce for free in 2020. And then after that, you're looking at about $15.5 to $16 million annually in 21, 22, 23. And you don't know at that point. Maybe you want to move him. I do think, and I'm factoring in what's the rest of whatever Seattle's sending over to the Mets, I have to think, I understand he has a no-trade clause, that if he's still a productive offensive player who can't play second base and who there either isn't room for him at a corner position or he doesn't want to play a corner position, you know, essentially you'll be able to find him a home in the American League as a DH and he could wind up his career there. Or, you, you know, you move on as a sunk cost. I mean, that's part of it. It's not going to cripple the franchise. There's no more crippling. And I know that Wright was covered by insurance, but, you know, Wright's also, you know, Wright could potentially be, Cespedes could be, these could be crippling contracts for a couple of years. That's part of the game here. But it's not five, six years of cripple. It's only a couple. And, you know, I think you should be able to get two, at least three years, and then you have to work it on the back end. That's There's always going to be some of that maneuvering. And the Mets, fortunately, and this is where, you see some action from Brody Van Wagenen, and you appreciate the difference from the sleepiness of what Sandy Alderson brought. He was a very methodical, very conservative type of GM, and maybe that's because of the way ownership was looking at the team over that time. Um, you know, that what Van Wagenen is looking at and say, you know, I'm benefiting from really no long-term liabilities, and, and guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some caution to the wind there, and it's not a ton of money when you think about it where it will cripple a payroll down the road. You're not looking at a $30 million nut that you can't, Get out from under. Anybody making that kind of money, $30 million, $25 million on a roster, is really sucking up a large portion of the payroll, and it's and it's dead money, and it's too much when you're trying to build a winning baseball team and import talent, especially if you don't have a lot of high-end cost-controlled talent, which is so variable when it comes down to it. Now, the controversial part of the trade goes down to the prospects. Kelnick, Dunn, Batista. For Diaz, there's no doubt the Mets need Diaz. Now, the only question about Diaz is this. He's got this bone spur that he's had since they signed, so who the heck knows what that's all about. I'm sure the, you know, I'm assuming that the Mets are going to go through a thorough physical. Any pitcher on any team, any staff, if you really got behind the MRI machine and looked at what their arms look like, you probably would be holding your breath every time a pitch went out there. So you really can't get too crazy. You're assuming that there's a lot of due diligence being done here. When I first heard the deal and I heard McNeil and Kelnick and, and Dunn and, and, and I was like, oh boy. You know, because you, you, in this day and age, you start hearing about these prospects when they're drafted. You read because you have access to things like Metsmorized Online and Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus. And, you know, you hear everybody's a scout and there's some good stuff and there's some stuff that's just based on data and stats and what have you. But you fall in love with these guys even though they're probably years and years, in the case of Kelnick, maybe three to four years away from the big leagues. 
And so much can happen in an organization. So much can happen with a player in that span of time. And you forget just because you're playing well in, in low or high A does not necessarily mean any of that will translate to the big leagues. You know, you can look at the drafts from 2008, 2009, prospects that the Mets heralded at times in the late 90s, turn of the century. You know, some of them made uh, really good big league careers like Wright and Reyes and some like Alex Escobar never made it. So you have to be careful. I'm not about prospect hoarding. Did I feel pain with Kelnick? Yes, I did. And any trade that's a good trade or a trade that both teams kind of come out with something, there's going to be pain. It's going to be pain on both sides. It's going to be pain on Seattle's side because maybe they could have traded Cano if they were patient without attaching Diaz and maybe got a bigger hole for Diaz. And you know what? The other positive of this is that I don't think the other two guys, Dunn and Batista, are all that painful. Kelnick's the pain. And right now, if you ask me, who do I pick for a team that I believe has the resources and the assets and the pitching to win now to keep McNeil or Kelnick, I got to pick McNeil. Both were in the deal, I'd have a bigger problem with it. I think you're paying a lot for Diaz. And on the Seattle side, they're probably turning around and saying, you're damn straight. He's worth that. He's worth that. So you could look at it from both sides of the, f- the, the fence here. I think the biggest thing that the Mets are doing is they're telling the industry, we don't care that you are mad that we're going for it. We don't care that you're mad that I'm not trading Jacob deGrom or, or my pitcher's for your maybe prospects because you're a contender and I'm not. And the rules say that I shouldn't try to get out of that 80-82 win purgatory and try to get to the next echelon. And, you know, If the 2005 Mets lived in today's world, they would have not signed, or the 2004 Mets, they would have not signed Pedro Martinez or gone after Carlos Delgado or gone after Carlos Beltran. They would just rebuild and have Reyes write and collect assets and rip everything else apart. You never would add 2006 or teams in 7 and 8 that could potentially have made the playoffs and won a championship. So the Mets, like Bob Nightingale said over at USA Today, are doing something different in today's game that is shunned, is looked at because the media supports it. Well, you can't win that way. Well, why not? I've seen it happen before. Is it sustainable all the time? No, but I think the real way that teams will master and big market teams can master this whole process is they should be able to win and compete and develop at the same time with a healthy balance of going for it now and and prospect resources. And I think at times in Mets history, they haven't done that. I think in times of their history, they haven't been good at developing prospects. I don't know if they've had good guys up and down their farm system working with these guys, working with these players. I don't think their front office infrastructure was great. Uh, I think some of that was cleaned up under Sandy Alderson. Uh, after Omar Manaya, but I think also, also Sandy Alderson, uh, there was a lot of bad you can see, a lot of the, uh, bad processes put in place with coaching and with player development. And I think overall, Sandy was very methodical, and I don't know if he was all that creative in trying to build this roster year in and year out. And maybe he was a little antiquated. Maybe he was, you know, in the cash lane while everybody else was in the easy pass lane. Maybe a little bit. That's not to take away. They did go to a World Series, but you're seeing right now a guy that's a salesman that's worked his way to the top of his industry, now taking on a challenge where everybody's saying, well, you can't do it, and and conflict of interest, and all this other nonsense where, you know, the outrage from some members of the media like Buster Olney, how dare, you know, Brody Van Wagen and think he could be a, a GM and, and already bashing the trade. This is not all that bad. And if you thought you were going to get a guy like Edwin Diaz, and if you think you that it's a smart financial move to hold on to Kelnick 
and go throw money at Craig Kimbrell, who wants a six-year deal, you're out of your mind. Really, when it comes to closers and to bullpen, you won't even be shorter term than the five years, I'm telling you. If it was up to me, hitters would get five-year deals and pitchers would get three-year deals. And relievers might get two. But I wouldn't sign anybody because, you know, it's the same as what the real value of a home is and what the real estate value of the home is. You can make a lot of arguments for, you know, one or the other. At the end of the day, it's what the buyer and the seller and what the market and the emotions of the market demand. And right now, if the Mets didn't do it, I'm sure somebody else would give up prospects for Diaz, whether it be the Phillies, the Braves, another team, Yankees, whatever it may be. So you have to look at it separately. The deal for Cano with the Swarzak and Bruce, I don't see how it's even hurting the payroll and the payroll flexibility long term. To me, there's nothing bad about it other than you don't like Cano. And the fans are going to put this guy on a short leash. I'm sure Cano knows that. He's, gonna, he's hitting 125 after 10 days. They're going to start booing him right away. He makes an error to lose a game in April. They're going to boo him. Any slump, they're going to boo him because all they're going to think of is Yankees Kelnick, Yankees Kelnick, Yankees Kelnick. Lazy low motor. And if he shows that, he deserves to be booed. But we got you got to give him a chance. And they're going to be looking at Kelnick and they're going to be looking at Kelnick box scores and any scout or you know article that's written about Kelnick, they're going to go bananas if it's a positive one. And they're going to tie it in, God help, if Cano is on a slump. So get ready for that. Okay, If the Mets are winning, hopefully it'll be mitigated a little bit. As far as the Diaz and the closer, if Diaz continues to pitch like he's pitching and be as good as he is, and the Mets, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out over the next couple of years, and they're not in contention, I feel pretty comfortable with the team control of, uh, of a couple of more arbitration-eligible years. They'll be able to turn around and flip them for the same level of prospects they gave up. Dunn and Batista are replaceable, especially Batista. He's a guy who threw hard and didn't know how to pitch. It was very clear. He opened up a couple of 40-man roster spots, too. Don't forget about that. You need those to sign free agents. So now you got net two roster spots opened up, uh, you know, for this uh, for this team. You know, what's next? You hear a lot of names, Corey Kluber, uh, Noah Syndergaard, and I still think Noah Syndergaard will not be dealt unless it's a uh, just a totally crazy offer. Which in this in this day and age you never know what teams are willing to do. Um, you know, obviously there was some other news of a lesser extent. Travis Darno was tendered a contract. Wilmer Flores was not. Wilmer Flores loved you know the whole get, you know the crying on the field, 2015, the walk off stuff, all good stuff. Wilmer Flores has arthritic knees, really can't play the field, belongs in the American League. No outrage there. No outrage there. I saw some people really upset. That's a total emotional. Hold on to a player for the sake of holding on to a player without looking at common sense roster building. Darno, and I, I find it funny how fans were like, oh, why are they bringing Darno back? Look at the catching market and look at how hard it is to find a catcher. Darno could hit. He may not be the best defensive catcher. From day one, he really hasn't been on his own calling a game and been a great game caller. All the things that the, the, the Mets are looking for, Darno doesn't do, but that doesn't mean he can't be a solid backup. And if you bring a guy in like Maldonado, who's a great catch-and-throw guy, who's the guy that I know he doesn't hit, I keep saying that's the guy I'd spend because I don't think he's going to cost you as much, and I'd spend more of my available uh, payroll on on improving the, the team in other ways in the bullpen and maybe in center field, uh, maybe the starting rotation. You hear Gio Gonzalez's name come up. Uh, Darno makes a ton of sense. And here's the deal. He might get you something on a, in a trade. 
you got Plowicki, you got Darno. Neither of them can be, uh, you know, sent down. They have no options. And if you, for some reason, can't sign any of the available free agent catchers, you know, you could come to spring training. And not that that's the ideal situation, but at least it's not a disaster. It's not Jose Lobatone level disaster. Because if you're left with musical chairs with no chairs, that's what you're left with. And you saw how thin the catching situation is. I think the Mets will get a catcher. I hope it's Maldonado. I've said that since the start of the offseason. Is this, like I said at the start of the offseason, a move that's to make a back page headline? To a certain degree, it falls into that. And that was what I warned everybody. You don't want to just win the offseason so we could have these fun podcasts and have these fun newspaper headlines and have these fun talk radio days in the cold of winter when, you know, sometimes there's nothing, it seems like, going on but gray skies and snow and cold and darkness. Uh, it can fall into that, but I don't think it does because I think Diaz makes sense. The prospect haul is expensive, but not as expensive as it could have been. And I can't see how anybody would say take the money for Swarzak and Bruce, two players that underperform mightily in 2018, one of which doesn't fit as a clumsy fit into the current roster, and turn that into a potential Hall of Fame second baseman. And a second baseman that a who should be a Hall of Fame, A-Rod thinks, will come in and do very well. I just can't see it. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When I return, Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN, will join me. We'll talk about this trade. We'll talk about what he expects the Mets to do next. Winter meetings coming up in just a bit. A lot of baseball. A lot of baseball to talk about in the month of December. The cold of December, the holidays, Hanukkah, Christmas. But tons of baseball to talk about like it would be the middle of the summer. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets m-e-r-i-z-e-d online.com and get mesmerized today we're back and joining me is our buddy from 9870 ESPN author of the book press box revolution has a new book about the 1969 Mets coming out rich Catino Catino nine on Twitter rich welcome to the program winter meetings a week away but the news here in New York with the Mets is just beginning it's been a long time since we had some uh, hot stove percolating in this town on the uh, Queen side how you doing my friend good how are you tonight Mike can't complain. You know what? You you could say a lot of things, uh, you know, about Brody Van Wagenen and and whether he was the right hire or the wrong hire. You like uh, you know the fact that he's breaking down the team and or he's not. But what you can't say is that he's not bold. And this may not be as defining as a trade for Noah Syndergaard would be if that was his first big move. And who knows if that will come. But this is a pretty big deal as your first move as a GM because it's really putting 
his own spin on the franchise and, and starting to distance, I would say, from the way that Sandy Alderson did business for about eight years. It is very different. And, and there are two words I can use to describe Brody, not afraid. And much like a quarterback in the NFL, you want someone that has a game plan, executes it, and is not afraid. And one of the things that I think transpired, you know, as the news of this was all coming out, Mike, is that he knew the media was going to have problems with this, and they did. He's been around the media. He knows. He knew that the fans were going to be lukewarm about it. Some were going to love it. Some were going to not love it. And it didn't preclude him from doing it. And what he was given when he got this team is a team that had a great starting rotation, no bullpen really to speak of, and needed help on offense and defensively on the ball club. But he was told by ownership that, you know, a, a, a scrap down was not what they wanted. So that's what he had. The goal was to make this team the best team he can in 2019, not to ignore looking forward, but certainly the fulcrum of his wheel was going to be to make this team a playoff contender in 2019. Now, the offseason is not over yet, but I think this was a tremendous first step. And the problem I had with the, how the media interprets this deal is I think they're looking at it with blinders on because of their narrative on the Mets. And I, I, I'm just so tired of it. I'm so sick of it. And I will tell you this, that this is a trade to me that's a win for both teams. It's a win for the Mariners and DePoto. It's a win for the Mets and Van Wagenen. And, you know, I don't think it's one in which either team can be criticized for what they did. And there's pain, and I think there could be pain on both sides, because if you're on the Mets side, Kelnick certainly bothers you. If you're on the Seattle side, you wonder, did you give up maybe the best closer in baseball with cost-controlled years for a prospect package that's good, but far from a short thing. I mean, you get Kelnick. Maybe Kelnick turns out to be Grady Sizemore. He could turn out to be Mark Kotze. Those are some of the comps that we've heard from him. He may turn out to never even play in the big leagues. Dustin, Justin Dunn may be a reliever. Maybe he's a back-end starter. Who knows? And Bautista, live arm, but showed very quickly when he was brought up that he didn't really know how to pitch. So who knows? You know, who knows what they could have gotten for Diaz on the open market if it was just a Diaz type of deal. And I really can't see anybody, you know, if you're looking at the Mets and the $22.5 million that were invested in Bruce and Swarzak this coming season and then the other 14 that was invested in Bruce the following season, if I told you to take that money and Seattle would give you, uh, you know, the difference between Cano and those players over those two years and, you know, which is a better scenario for the Mets I can't see how you regardless of what you think about Cano the PEDs the age the motor whatever you want to talk about you can't sit there and say that he's not a better fit when Bruce is not a a great fit anymore because of the emergence of Nemo and the plantar fasciitis and the other injuries and Swarzak never really got off the ground here he got hurt from day one and never was was the same And, and he doesn't have really a long resume of success he was kind of a of a a value signing so Hard for me to say that if you look at the trade in two different compartments that you really, you really hate it. I mean, you could probably have more of an issue with the Diaz part 
than the Cano part. But they're not. They're looking at the Cano part really only and, and connecting the two. Well, really, they are. And this is the other problem I have with the media. And Brian Cashman made a trade with the Mariners a few weeks ago. to get Paxton. And I went on the air and said I thought it was a good deal for the Yankees. And the Yankees had decided, they were the second organization that decided that Sheffield was not a guy that they were going to bring up. And we knew that from during the season when the Yankees had all their pitching woes and refused to give the ball to him and gave the ball to other prospects that we thought were far lower in the echelon of the Yankee system than Sheffield was. So I think what you have here is then the Mets get, you know, and look, Paxton is a good pitcher. I would put him in the top 15, 20 starters in baseball, okay? But in this deal, the Mets are getting, even if you don't want to say this guy is the best closer in the game, he's in the top three. And, you know, and just to give you an example of, of, of the debate with that, Matt Eholt and I had a really push and shove on Twitter last night. And one of the things that I was trying to, to tell him was that what made this deal so good is that the Mets have financial control with Diaz. And he said, well, they, just, they could have kept the prospects and they could have gotten someone else. Yeah, they could have gotten someone in their 30s in Kimbrel, and Kimbrel's going to want a four-year contract. With Diaz. He wants six, he wants six years. Yeah. That's where he stopped. Yeah, and, and I'm sure Britain's going to want a multi-year pact. He's the other guy that everyone's looking at. The Mets have a guy that even if the worst thing happens, the worst thing in the world, that he doesn't have a good year, or sometimes people think the worst thing is if he has a good year. But my point is that it will be in an arbitration position, meaning that it's a one-year commitment. It's a series of one-year commitments. It's not a long-term contract. I'll give you an example. Would the Jay Bruce signing have been better for the Mets if it had been a one-year contract? Of course it would have been. They would have been out of it already. They would have had to, you know, use it in a trade. And my, that's my point, okay? And the other thing is, you know, what he brought up with me, you know, where are the Mets now in the National League East? And, you know, first of all, he told me that the Braves are 20 games better than the Mets when the actual number was 13, but that's – I'll get him a calculator for Christmas and maybe can help him a little bit with that. But my whole point of the issue was that the offseason's not done yet, and he's telling me that the Braves actually brought in a better hitter in Donaldson than the Mets did in Cano, which is so not true, which is no, so off the charts. He hasn't been a good hitter for two years. He hasn't been a consistent, healthy, good hitter for two years. And they're going to lose more cakes. They're going to have to replace that bat. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's so ridiculous, and I think what happens with the media is they have a feeling that the Mets can do nothing right. Now, this is an organization that did get to the World Series this decade, okay? And just to give you an example of who hasn't done that, forget the Yankees who haven't been to the World Series. I'll put them on the cupboard for a minute. No one in the National League East has gotten to the World Series. And we're not in the beginning of the decade. We're going into 2019. So I think the media's reaction to this is unfair in a lot of ways. And you have to give up prospects to get great players. 
The Mets got Cespedes for the run. They had to give up former. Okay? They had to do it. They had to do it. The Yankees got one of the top prospects in baseball when they traded Araldus Chapman, who was a two-month rental. And the Cubs didn't get any criticism for that, and nor should they have gotten criticism for it. My point on this is this is a good deal for the Mets. I think it's the first of a few things that they're going to be doing. And my point on the whole thing is that I like the fact that Brody wasn't afraid. And I'll say one more thing about the whole Brody thing. The other thing that I heard from people, and this is even more nonsense, is that he's doing Robinson Cano a favor. I think it's just the opposite. And by that I mean nobody knows Robinson Cano better than him. He helped represent him to get this big contract. And he knows what's inside of Robinson Cano. And Robinson Cano made a mistake with getting a PED suspension. No question about it, okay? But think about if you're Robinson Cano right now. And you know you're coming to the Mets. And you have a chance. Let's make this a comparison. Let's say somebody who wrote for the Daily News gets a chance to go to a competing newspaper and cover the Mets and lost their job at the news, and they go to a competing newspaper. Let's call it Mike Silva Illustrated, okay? It's a brand-new publication, and you're coming out, and you have a chance to put it to the top. And you have a chance every single day to show the people that let you go, that didn't want to pay you, that you can make them pay in how their competition succeeds. That's the opportunity Robinson Cano is going to have every waking moment of this season. Plus, he's got the ability to say, okay, you didn't want me. You wanted Jacoby Ellsbury, which might be one of the worst contracts in the history of humanity, never mind sports. Okay? Now you have the opportunity to put that in their face in the back page of the newspaper every day. And don't tell me, Mike, that that's not great motivation for an athlete and I think that's what we're going to see in 2019. Yeah, I mean, the idea that Brody Van Wagenen would put his reputation and his current job in jeopardy to help a former client is silly. Look, they're trying to take money that they know they can't do anything with and, and turn it into as much value as possible. And I turned my nose up when I first heard the name Robinson Cano because you'd think right away, oh, wrong side of 30, PD suspension, uh, a lot of money attached to the back. But then when you really peel the onion and you look at it, and, and I listened to A-Rod on WFAN on Friday, and, and say, like I said in the open, say what you want about A-Rod. You don't like him. You don't like the way he went about himself. You don't like that he's in that you know stratosphere of money and celebrity that border lines on the obnoxious. Throw that aside. He knows baseball, and he, and he really is a smart guy, and he was a, a top of his craft, and he was passionate about his craft, and he was a hard worker uh, despite all the talent he had. He didn't just you know sit on that. He worked hard. He's a gym rat cage rat so to speak and he spoke very highly of those same things about Cano about how he's Rod Carew with power I went to baseball reference he's a guy that probably in two years when you look at wind chairs will be the top five of all time second baseman you know probably only the Joe Morgans of the world will be ahead of him Uh, he's had a storied career he had a very good September last year I think you get a couple of years out of him I think he's definitely an upgrade defensively from what you've seen with Cabrera and Murphy over the last few years. Maybe not the level that he once was. 
I just can't see, other than that it's another lefty bat, I can't see a downside to it. But I'll tell you what, Rich, be ready because the fans are fickle here. And he has a Yankee background. And, you know, Kelnick, you'll know the blogs and, and, and what have you, and, the, and even the local media, they'll be keeping an eye on him throughout the summer. And if this kid's making his way through the Seattle system and Cano's going through a bad slump, loses a game with, the, with his batter, his glove, goes through an extended slump, especially early in the year when he's just new to the team, he's going to hear the boos. It's going to be another Carlos Beltran-type situation. And I don't think Cano's going to care. But that's going to be a storyline early, and I could see that happening, especially if the Mets are not winning. So it's almost important for him to get off to a good start as well as the team wins. You know, I don't know if winning will, will mask it a little bit, but both need to happen because I think that this could be another Beltron early 05, early 06 situation where the fans just come in and go, I got my knives. If you don't, if you don't perform to the nymph degree, you know, I'm ready to tear you down. I, I'm afraid of that, but that comes with the, the territory here. It does, and, and, and I think that Cano can handle it because he's handled it when he's lived in the Bronx as a ball player. So he understands that. Um, you know, he understands what that needs to be and, and how he needs to progress and how he needs to play. But, you know, when you talk about prospects, you know, the prospect lists change at the drop of a hat. Twelve months ago, where was Dominic Smith in the Met plans compared to Peter Alonzo? Where was Jeff McNeil in the Met plans 12 months ago? Okay? They all can change in an instant. Two years ago, wasn't Ahmed Rosario the number one prospect in all of baseball? And I'm not saying he was or he wasn't or he won't and he can't be great, but I'm saying that that all changed in, 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 in an eyelash. So I think that, you know, when you look at even the Yankee system, where Sheffield and Cliff Frazier were, where are they now? Well, one's not even in the organization anymore, and the other one is having some issues. Look, I've been through this my entire life covering the Mets, and it's something that Frank Cashin told me a long time ago. You can't hold on to all your prospects, but the key is knowing which ones to trade and which ones not to trade and to get some value for the ones that you trade. And Cashin was brilliant at it, you know, getting, you know, Frank Viola for David West and a bunch of players, knowing that, you know, um, Floyd Yeomans was not going to be Doc Gooden and putting him in a deal for Gary Carter, knowing all those things. And, and there's hits and misses too, knowing that, you know, knowing about other minor league systems, knowing you can get a David Cohn for an Ed Hearn, not to say Frank Cashin didn't make mistakes, because he did. Um, but I look at people that, you know, were touting guys in the Met organization, prospects. How many years were we hearing about Lasting's Millage? How many years were we hearing about Paul Wilson, Bill Pulsifer, and Jason Isernhausen? Now, Isernhausen had a career, but mainly as a relief pitcher, not as a starter. So prospects are just that, prospects. And anyone that works on the New York Stock Exchange can tell you that a stock that is prospecting well doesn't always do well. And sometimes, Scott, stocks that aren't progressing well, or prospecting well, I should say, do well. It's the same way in baseball. And I think that what the Mets had to decide was, you know what, if we're going to protect two guys, is it going to be the guy we just drafted out of high school 
no matter how good people think he is, or is it the guy that that made made last year a home run festival in the minor leagues, and another guy that in Jimenez that we see as a possibility of a middle infielder, and maybe two years from now when Robinson Cano is not as good as he was for the first two years of this contract, that Cano can move to first and he can be a second baseman, and. My whole point on this is that you just don't know how things work out. I do know this, though. The Mets are better right now than they were yesterday. And I think, the other, I think more, I think the more other, deals will be made. I agree. I think, you know, uh, and I have Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN, at Catino 9 on Twitter. Rich, one other thing before we wrap up. Uh, I think the other part of this is the 10-year deal. And you got Manny Machado, you got Bryce Harper out there. Both are probably going to command 10-year deals. And I never have been a fan of these decade-long commitments. It was up to me. Hitters get five years. Pitchers get three. Of course, that doesn't work in the real world, You got to, especially for elite players. And that's why the outrage over the salary, even after you figure out, I think he's worth probably 15, 15 to $16 million annually when you factor in the, the, the dollars that went yeah, back. With yeah, it, and Bruce. yeah, it becomes a five-year, $63 million deal. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they're signing, but that's what the fans, they want Machado, they want Harper, and I get it. I'm not saying those guys are, are going to collapse in the near term, but you sign someone to a 10-year deal. You sign Manny Machado who's got knee problems uh, to a 10-year deal. The back half of that deal, when he's making 30 or more, depending on how you structure the contract, those become problematic to move, and they cripple payroll, and they become like mm-hmm. Mariners felt they were with, with Cano, and then you have to get rid of a good player to get rid of them. And Harper, look, he plays all out. You know, He's a healthy young guy. I'm sure he'll be healthy. I hope he's healthy. I never want to wish ill on a player, but he could break down. And, and you just don't know. So to me, you're getting the guy that was on a 10-year deal, the elite player, player they looked at five years ago. You get an elite closer. That's a no-brainer. And the only risk here is a little bit of money that's not nearly what the Mariners had to pay and a kid in Kelnick where at least it wasn't Kelnick and McNeil. And I said in the open, if you told me today which one you keep, I think in a vacuum you keep Kelnick because he has a higher upside. But where this team is now and there's something about Jeff McNeil, I could be completely wrong. The kid could get hurt. There could be a bunch of stuff that goes wrong. He just has this it factor that makes me say that's the guy you want to keep in the near term. And don't be surprised in the long term, he turns out to be a better ball player. Different position, different value, but I'm glad they kept McNeil. And, uh, you know, when you look at the situation outside of the vacuum, that's the guy that I didn't want to see go to Seattle in this deal. And there was, he was rumored there at one point to be part of the deal. He was. And, and, you know, the other thing is even with Cano at second base and assuming that, you know, Alonzo does well at first, we may end up seeing a platoon of Jeff McNeil and Todd Frazier at third and maybe Frazier playing a little first when, when, um, when Alonzo isn't hitting well or when he needs a breather. And it's almost like Todd Frazier in his last year of his contract can now become what Wilma Flores was on the team a year ago, the guy that's the, the, the backup on the corner that can give you a big hit and sometimes a home run. And I think that, you know, it makes the team deeper and it makes the team bigger. They still need a backup middle infielder, I think. But um, they have their five infielders that they're probably going to start the season with. Now, if Alonzo's got to be, you know, in that, with that ridiculous rule where you want another year of eligibility for him on your team financially, 
he may not start the season with the Mets, but nonetheless, I think he will get every opportunity to play first base. Now, when you look at the bullpen, this also, this is the other thing that everyone missed. This allows the Mets to actually, you know, this season to probably have the same free agent budget that they had prior to the Cano trade because the Cano salary is pretty much a wash this first year with the contracts that were going back and the $20 million the Mets are receiving from the Mariners. So I do think that it will allow them to look at the same kind of things that they would need free agent-wise, but they already have the closer. That's one they could knock off. They got one bat. They probably need another bat, maybe two more in the bullpen and a catcher position and a center fielder. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do all those, but they clearly were not even able to do half of them if they didn't make this trade. So, Rich, uh, winter meetings coming up uh, in about a week. Your book uh, will be out in the spring. Give the listeners an idea of what's going on with you. What, you know, I know you're, we're going to have you pop on to some shows during the winter meetings, but I'm sure you'll be active on Metsmarized Online, ESPN. Give them an idea what to expect from you over the coming week or two. Definitely. You know, keeping everyone busy between now and the holidays, I think we'll know more about the Mets on Christmas Eve than we do right now because of the winter meetings. I do think that a lot of these big free agents – they may move to over, you know, over into 2019. They did last year. So um, I think that's going to stay the same. For me, it's a, it's a combination of things. You know, finishing up the book, which is almost done, the, the miracle of 1969, and how the Mets went from lovable losers to world champions. And we're going to talk a lot in the book, not only of that 69 season, but how the Mets were born and the Dodgers and Giants leaving town and why that happened. And, and two names that I think Met fans don't know a lot about, especially I'm talking about the younger Met fans, Bill Shea and Gil Hodges. And I think that I definitely want to bring those two names front and center so people understand what a big commitment that they had in bringing National League Baseball back to New York. Obviously, you know, with ESPN, I'm also doing some other sports during the off season. I was at the Knicks games this weekend. I'll be at some Jet games. But my focus is going to be baseball come the winter meetings, and looking forward to, uh, you know, spring training, which I look at the calendar, it's not that far away. We're, we're now in December. so 16 days, yeah. About a little, little over so three months. Uh, Amazing. Amazing. It'll be, um, it'll be here before you. We'll be getting content for, for Mets fans all, all, all the time on Twitter, obviously. And listen, I got one piece of advice for Mets fans. You can agree with deals, you can disagree with deals, but try to take the narrative that has given, been given to you about the Mets and put it to the side and take a trade or a free agent signing and evaluate it for its merits, not for how it fits the narrative of what you feel the Mets are or not doing. And that's all I ask. And listen, Everyone talks about, you know, and I went out through it with Matt Ehold about the Braves. The Braves didn't win 100 games last year. The Braves won 90 games. And they had a great season. They deserve a tremendous amount of credit for it, Mike. But they did it because two players, two players got there a little quicker than they thought they would in Albies and Acuna. And Albies didn't have a great second half, but Acuna's a stud. Now, everything else kind of did what it was supposed to do. 
Marquez had the year he was supposed to have. Freeman had the year he was supposed to have. Some of the pitchers came around. But Acuna and Albies made it catalyze their growth. And all I'm telling Mets fans to do is watch themselves because that same catalyst could be, this year could be Ahmed Rosario and Peter Alonso. It's very possible that one or both of them could become core bats in this lineup, and that changes everything in the National League East, everything. Now that the Mets have a closer and the type of rotation they have. So, yes, it's the offseason. Everyone feels good about their teams in the offseason, or at least they should. But this Met team, if they add the right parts and get that jolt from either Alonzo or Rosario or both of them, they could be a team to watch in 2019. Rich, always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. We'll catch up during the winter meetings. Appreciate the time tonight. Stay well, Mike. Always a pleasure. Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN, at Catino9 on Twitter. Good stuff. Check out his book, Press Box Revolution, and his upcoming book in the spring about the 1969 Mets. We'll take a quick break. When we return, final thoughts, wrapping up, talk about what we're going to do during the winter meetings. There'll be more Talking Mets podcast right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Always love Rich Catino's take. Great stuff. Uh, always enjoy him. And I think we, we really dived into the Cano situation with Diaz and, and gave you the most balanced take I think that you'll get out there. I really do. I really believe that. So what's next? Um, just wanted to let you guys know, again, thanks for listening. Um, winter meetings start next Sunday, uh, the 9th to the 13th. Trying to figure out what best to do. I, I do plan on doing some shows during the week. Uh, our buddy Rich Mancuso, New York Sports Day, is going to be out in Vegas. I, I think we'll have some presence for Mesmerized Online. I'm not sure. I'll have to let, let you guys know. Uh, our buddy Rich Catino probably will be popping on. With it being in Vegas, we'll record some podcasts late. So you may wake up and have a fresh podcast in your iTunes. So subscribe on the iTunes. Make sure you do this RSS subscription. Any kind of whatever the service is that you're using, SoundCloud, whatever, you know, make sure you. Um, you update it because, uh, you know, things will be popping up fast and furious. The goal, if there's news, is to do something every night, but we'll try to make it where it's relevant and we don't give you content that goes stale pretty quickly. So anyway, uh, appreciate everyone tuning in. I want to thank Rich Catino for joining me. Check him out on Twitter at Catino9, of course, all the time at 9870 SPN. And uh, check out his book, Press Box, Re- Press Box Revolution. 
as well as his upcoming book about the 69 Mets. I want to thank the good folks over at MetsMemorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you during the winter meetings next week.